So we've been going through the book of Jude verse by verse, taking a deep uh, dive into this book. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Jude chap, uh, verse 20. So I invite you to turn there with me. If you're not too sure where it's at, find the book of Revelation, the one all the way to the right. And it's the little one chapter book right before the book of Revelation. And we're going to start in verse 20. Oh, Father, time spent in your word is so beautiful and could be so life-changing, so perspective-altering. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us, encourage us. You, know, you have specific things that you want to communicate to each one of us tonight, so I pray that we'd have ears to hear. Hearts to receive. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two perspectives when it comes to maintaining your physical health. There's the negative perspective where you identify the threats and you stay away from those things. Like Twinkies are the enemy, right? And don't smoke and don't abuse alcohol. And don't be a couch potato. You have that negative perspective. There's also the positive one where you actively pursue those things which give you physical health. So you eat the right diet. You do daily exercise. You get a good night's sleep. You do have regular checkups with a doctor so you can make sure things are okay. The same is true when it comes for the spiritual health of a local church or a Christian. There's two perspectives. There's the negative. There are the threats that you need to be aware of and avoid them. The false teachers, the false teaching, the wolves that come into the church and try to deceive people. Now Jude gives us a whole lot of information about these false teachers. We've been studying it. The various characteristics, the strategy, the things they do, and, and some of their common false teachings. And so you need to be aware of those things. But there are also some positive things that you can do to promote your spiritual health. There are activities. There are things that you can focus on. And do. You can become proactive rather than reactive. And that is what Jude speaks of tonight in our text. These positive things that you can do. So look at verse 20. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now there is so much good stuff in those two verses. Incredible, positive, proactive things that you can do. And I want you to notice something. The main thought 
of both those verses is found right at the beginning of verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. That's the verb. That's the whole main thought. That is the center of gravity for which everything else in those two verses is said. Keep yourself in the love of God. Then in verse 20, you have that verb building and praying. And in verse 21, looking. Those are participles. Those are support to the main topic, which is keep yourself. So if you were to outline those two verses, this is a spectacular outline. The main thought, keep yourself in the love of God and kind of a how-to by building and praying and looking. And I just want to spend a little time on each one of those points. First of all, Keep yourself in the love of God. Christian, keep yourself in the love of God. What does that mean? Does that mean that God may stop loving you? Does that mean that you have to earn God's love? Is God's love conditional? No. If you're a born-again Christian... His love for you is steadfast. It never changes. He loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. In fact, it says at the beginning of verse 20, but you beloved. If you're a Christian, that's who you are. Beloved. You are beloved by God. The idea here is keep your life grounded In the love of God. Christian, keep yourself in a place, always, where you're benefiting from the love of God. When you're being blessed by his love. See, listen, if you're a Christian and and you're in rebellion, and you callously, rebelliously disobey the Lord, You're moving yourself outside of that protection of God's love. It's almost like you're going to the dark side of the moon. Now the moon lights up, the sun shines on it, right? The sun's always shining. God's love is always shining. The problem is we can move from the light side and go to the other side where we don't live in that benefit. Think of the... the, the parable of the prodigal son. You remember that story, that youngest son who takes the stuff and goes out and squanders it all the way. Let me ask you, did the father in that story ever stop loving his son? No. The father would every morning go out and look and be waiting. But the prodigal son moved away from the household didn't receive the blessing of the father's love. And he crashed and burned. He ended up trying to fill his belly with the pods in a pig pen until he came to his senses and said, I need to go back to my father's house. That's the same thing. 
stay in the household. Keep your life in a place where you're grounded in God's love for you. And Jesus tells us in John 14, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There's this idea that if you really love God, you're going to obey him. And showing God love is obeying him. And if you move outside of that, you get into trouble. By the way, God has given us commandments not to cramp our styles. Not to say, oh, I want to give them a boring life. But to keep you safe. Keep you productive and fruitful and healthy. To keep yourself in the love of God is to prioritize that relationship you have with God. Jesus was asked that one day, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And you remember he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Love God. That's what you were created to do. Christian, you have a relationship with God. Live, keep, stay in that relationship with him. You know, if you're a born-again Christian, you're, you're, you're a son or daughter in the family of God. Think of that. God is your father. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. Stay put. I've done many wedding ceremonies over the years as a pastor. All kinds of different wedding ceremonies. I've done very well-to-do weddings. I've done poor weddings. I've done big weddings. I've done small weddings. And uh, it doesn't matter what the wedding is. The most important moment in that ceremony is when the bride and groom turn and face each other and take their vows. And you see the tears. It's beautiful. They're making commitments to one another. In previous generations... The bride was asked this question at a wedding ceremony. Do you promise to keep thyself only unto him as long as you both shall live? And the bride-to-be would respond with, I do. She united herself to the groom with undivided loyalty because she knew that he loved her with a decided and determined love of his own. She had no problem keeping herself for him. We're the bride of Christ. Keep yourself for him. Keep yourself in the love of God. So that is the the main theme. Keep yourself in the love of God. And then as support to that, it says building. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So this is something that we are to do. This is proactive. We are to be building ourselves up on the most holy faith. So, Christian, you have a most holy faith. You've given your life to the Lord Jesus And you've entered into this most beautiful faith. 
And by faith, it would mean all of the Christian faith, all of the truth that you can learn in the system that we call Christianity. And you're to build yourself up on it and never quit building. So the idea is when you become a Christian, a foundation is laid. Now, do you want to stay looking like that? You want to become that. And so what, what Jude is saying is, man, build. It's as, though, it's as if he walks into our midst and says, it's time to build, people. You've been dwelling too close to the ground. Rise. The apostles poured a godly foundation. They've given you Jesus. Now build yourselves up in him. Know the faith. The other way to think of it is growing. Keep growing. You're born again into the family of God. You're born as a little spiritual baby. And you need milk. And eventually you need to get to meat and grow and mature. Jude says, if you want to stay spiritually healthy and guarded, keep growing. Don't ever stop growing. Grow in the most holy faith. Know the most holy faith. Grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Know Jesus better and better. So, Christian, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Some of you may have been Christian for years. Don't ever get to this place where, like, you, I know everything about the Bible now. I know everything about church. I know everything about prayer. I know all the theology. I've arrived. Don't ever get there. Paul the Apostle, who's one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, Lived his life with this mentality. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of for me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul the Apostle Every day of his life till God took him to heaven. Building, growing. Gave his effort to it. So, those first two, keep yourselves in the love of God and building on the most holy faith. That's kind of a general statement. You know, build. Keep yourself. There's more specifics. The next one is praying. Praying. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. The discipline of prayer. The spiritual discipline of prayer. You want to be spiritually healthy? Give yourself to prayer. Now, there are some that insist That praying in the spirit here is a reference to speaking in tongues. That if you're praying in the spirit, then you have a tongues language that you're praying in. And it's this supernatural exercise of the gift of tongues. I do believe that there is a spiritual gift of tongues. I believe that many Christians have them. I have many 
friends, good friends that speak in tongues. I believe it's a valid gift for the body of Christ. Not for everyone, but for some. And I think the Bible is very clear uh, about how it's to be used in a public uh, service. I think it's mostly a private gift that you would spend in your private time of prayer. It can be a wonderful resource. If God has given you that gift, use it. But I don't think that's what's in mind at this text. It's not praying in tongues. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray as guided by the Holy Spirit. Pray according to the will of God as the Holy Spirit leads you. You know, as a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, and he helps you pray. He helps your prayer life to be effective. Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That is an amazing statement. You don't know what to pray for? The Holy Spirit intercedes. The Holy Spirit should guide the prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit empowers your prayer life. So the spiritual discipline of prayer. An absolute must if you want to stay spiritually healthy. We're told in Ephesians 6, after we're given all of the pieces of warfare, you know, all the things that you're supposed to put on in the army, in the armor of God. After all that, Paul adds, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. So prayer is huge. Pray formally. Pray informally all day. Have regular conversations with God throughout the day. Pray corporately. Pray in small groups. Huge. Keep yourself in the love of God. Build. Pray. And now I'm going to mix up the outline just a little bit. I'm going to add a bullet. Remember the word. Where'd you get that, Terry? Look up at verse 17. We skipped that. And in this study of Jude, we're going to every verse. Verse 17, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before By the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the words that were spoken by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine that was delivered to the apostles that they taught in the early church period. That was eventually captured and recorded in letters that we now have in our New Testament. You could read that as remember The written word of God. And it's a very strong, it's it's the idea is, be able to recall the written word of God. So the idea is, and you know this, 
a foundational principle in our life as Christians for growing and maintaining spiritual truth is the consistent study of the Bible, the reading of it, the hearing it preached, the meditation, the memorizing, all of that. So I want you to think, there's, here's, a, here's a little diagram that I put up quite often. This is one that I've shared I've written out on, on napkins at coffee shops. And this, this perfectly describes a Christian who's growing. If you're a Christian who's growing, you're moving. You're always moving. That's why it's a wheel. And if you're a Christian who's growing, Christ is the hub of your life. Everything revolves around Jesus. And you keep yourselves in the love of Christ. You keep yourself there. He's first place. And then you have these four spokes. And these are the four foundational principles of Christian growth. And what we just saw in Jude were the two vertical spokes. Your relationship with God. Prayer. That's how you talk to God. And Bible. That's how God talks to you. that. That's it. Bible reading and prayer. That never changes. Those are your discipline. Always keep to those. There was a, a man by the name of J. Sidlow Baxter. He was a godly man, an influential Christian, preacher and a writer, when he was at the very end of his age, end of his life, elderly man, a grandfather came to hear him speak, who had also been a preacher for many years, and the grandfather brought his grandson with him. So like four generations. And the grandfather brought his grandson to this guy and said, hey, I think my grand-, he was in his early 20s. He wants to be a pastor. He wants to be a preacher as well. And J. Sidlow Baxter took his hands in his wrinkled ones and said to him, Young man, I have a word for you while I have you in my clutches. Give yourself to personal Bible study and to private prayer. That's what he said. Then you will not only be ready to be a minister, but you will become God's messenger. Bible study, prayer. Hudson Taylor, one of the most famous missionaries, one of the most productive. He said, the hardest part of a missionary career is to maintain regular, prayerful Bible study. But he did it. The Christian life can become all busy, all kinds of different things, but you never Stop prayer and Bible study. Never. I found a wonderful quote. I'm going to put it up on screen. It's in big letters. I love it. The main things are the plain things. Can I say that again? The main things are the plain things. It's not rocket science. You don't have to go to seminary and get a PhD in theology. 
You don't have to confuse. Bible reading, prayer. And you know what it's just a matter of? Time. Time. Are you willing to put that in your schedule? People always looking for the sensational, the mystical, the experiential, the dreams, the visions. Beware of that. That can be the seedbed of false doctrine and false teaching. You stick to praying, remembering the word. And then the fourth one that it says, looking. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking is this very strong word in the Greek. It's like, man, you are waiting. You are expecting. You're watchful for. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, what does that mean? That means we're looking for something in the future. If you're a born-again Christian, you've experienced the mercy of Jesus Christ. When you gave your life, you experienced the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian today, you're experiencing the mercy of God. But there's coming a time in the future when you're going to experience the mercy of God in the most radical way you've ever seen. And that's when he comes again. When Jesus comes again. His mercy upon you in his very presence. If you're a Christian, you've been saved, you are being saved, and when Jesus comes again, you will be saved. You will be brought out of this world. Christ is coming. He is going to set justice in order. All the unanswered questions will be answered. He will set up his kingdom. The Bible says that we will eventually get brand new bodies. Can't wait for that. Heaven. We're told in 1 John, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he's pure. So we live our lives, my brothers and sisters in Christ, watching, waiting, looking for the return of Christ. And it's a certain hope. And it motivates you to know that he could come at any time. Hope is a potent motivator for present action. Knowing the end encourages vigorous action now. So as we read God's word, as we pray in the spirit, as we keep ourselves in the love of God, we do it all in eagerness and waiting. The future looks bright. Eternal life is the prize for all of us. So look at, those are your priorities. You know, we have the priorities for physical health. Eat a good diet, get a good night's sleep, exercise. Never changes. Spiritual health. 
Keep yourself in the love of God. Build, pray, remember the word. Keep looking. And by the way, there is a lot of self-effort. Keep yourself in the love of God. By the way, keep yourself, not your spouse. Keep yourself in the love of God. Building up yourself on the most holy faith. It takes effort. It takes commitment. It takes discipline. And yet still, we also know that we have the power of God to help us, don't we? In fact, we have the power of the triune God. Every member of the Trinity here is mentioned in these verses. Keep yourself in the love of God the Father, verse 21. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. And praying in the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. You have God living in you. You have Spirit living in you. You have Jesus living in you. You belong to God the Father. You are empowered. So it's not all yourself. It's cooperating with God who loves you. So here's, here's a mission statement for your life. By the way, this could be a mission statement for a local church. How to keep a local church healthy? Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep building upon the faith, prayer, word, waiting for the return, depending upon the power of God. Beautiful passage. Make these things real. In your life as a Christian. Okay, real quick, we're going to change topics. It's important that we stay spiritually healthy. It's also important as members of the body of Christ that we would help others stay healthy and get healthy. And that would be a part of that horizontal spoke in, 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 in the wheel diagram. Those other discipline, disciplines where we're fellowshipping and we're witnessing. It's very important that we are concerned with the spiritual health of others. And look what Jude writes in verse 22. On some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now, I am a big fan of the New King James Version except for these verses. This is a really hard uh, translation. Different words are used than you'll find in, in, in different translations. Different Greek words can be translated differently. And the New King James, I think, really makes this one confusing. So I am going to put up what I think is a lot more easier to understand. The English Standard Version goes like this. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So I just want you to notice three phrases. Have mercy on those who doubt. You want to help people spiritually, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Have mercy on those that doubt. There are doubters. 
Now, this is not speaking of people who are hostile towards the gospel. They're, you know, in rebellion. They're doubters. They're struggling. Maybe they're brand new Christians. And sometimes brand new Christians have doubts. They have doubts about the Bible. They have doubts about the Christian faith. Maybe one would come up to you and say, how can I be sure that the Bible's true? Are you really sure that I can't love Jesus and still do what I want to do with my own body? You know, others teach differently than you do on this, and they seem kind and sincere. I have a professor in college or a a teacher at school that makes a lot of sense. And they come with doubts. This word for doubt can also be translated disputing. So the idea is sometimes people that doubt can come off as disputing, wanting an argument. Now you need to know that. Now what does that phrase tell you that you need to do with those people? Beat them up outside in the church parking lot? Get out your theological sword and carve them to size? What does it say? Have mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt. In other words, be compassionate. Be patient. Be loving. Understand. Don't be harsh. Don't think that behind every question, a budding heretic is getting ready to emerge. Be kind. Work with them. Be gentle. Pray. I mean, try to think back to when you first came to Christ. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but what about when you first came to Christ? Did you know everything? There are issues, and you have to work very gently with some. And as Christians, you need to be able to distinguish the difference. Who are the doubters in your life? Be gentle with them. Timothy said, Paul said to Timothy, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. I can't tell you how many times where I've dealt with a Christian here at this church who had a strong stance on something that was wrong. It was wrong. They were way out of line. And instead of hammering them, sit down, have a nice conversation, show, you know, take them gently through a passage of scripture and there's been times where well I don't I don't buy that okay but this is what it is and let them go and then you pray for them do you believe that the holy spirit can direct his people do you believe that let the holy spirit work in people's hearts you're not the holy spirit and there have been many times where I'm in a situation like that And I could have come down super hard. They leave and I never get to talk to them again. But there's been other times where, man, you're just gentle. You're patient. You're kind. They stick around. And within six months, they're solid. The Lord has spoken to them. You want to help people stay spiritually healthy? 
your brothers and sisters. You be careful with the doubters. Now look at this next one. This one's aggressive. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now this is speaking of people that are in big time trouble. These are people that are living an active rebellion against God. They're hostile towards God. This might even be someone who once was a Christian and now they've left and they've done all of these horrific things. They've disowned their faith. Jude says with those, save. Snatch them out of the fire. In other words, be more aggressive. Be more bold. Be the warner. Be the stop sign in their life. They're going this way. You be that person that says, stop. Warn them. Snatch them out of the fire. It's the Greek word harpazo. You know where that word is used? It's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when it talks about the rapture. There's coming that time when Jesus will come and we'll all be caught up, raptured, harpazo. It's a violent snatching. So the idea is very clear. Man, be bold. Go after them. Save them. Do everything you can. Don't sit back. Don't watch your friends walking off a cliff. Go talk to them. Be strong. Be bold. And really, if you think about it, the whole unbelieving world around us is in big trouble. And as Christians, we need to know that. And we need to be, we need to, you need to be a witness to rescue people. Snatch them from the fire. This guy is one of my heroes. His name is C.T. Studd. Cool name, right? He lived from 1860 to 1931. This is him in his prime of life. What a handsome young man. He was educated at Cambridge and was one of the top cricket players of his time. In fact, he was so good that others in the sporting world compared him to America's Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb. Well, it so happened that C.T. became a Christian. And as a result, he decided to contend for men and women who were headed for the fires of hell. He gave away a fortune, and he became part of the famous Cambridge Seven, bright university students who left comfortable England and went instead to the mission field. Eventually, Stud died an old man in distant Africa. He's the one who said this. Someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Man, I love that. I'm going to snatch people from the fire. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to be a bold. And I'm going to do it because I love my friends. And I love my family members. And I care. I'm not going to be a Christian who just sits on the answer for myself. 
I want to be a witness. Think of what C.T. Studd gave away. What he did. Beautiful. The third phrase. To others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So you, you, you identify the doubters. You have a certain strategy. The ones that are in trouble, you have a strategy. You're bold. Now this one, there's a group that says you need to show mercy to them with fear. In other words, be cautious. Be cautious. Now this is important. I think what Jude is saying is that there are some people that are probably dangerous for you. There might be a group of people that you'd like to share the gospel with, but it could be a little dangerous for you. And you need to be very cautious. Because it might tempt you. You know, you can go out and share with people and, you know, become infatuated with those people. And it can turn to something that's very tempting. For, for example, extreme. If you're a man who struggles with sexual lust, you probably shouldn't be ministering to attractive women working in the sex industry. Right? If you have struggled with alcohol, should you have an evangelistic mission outreach in the bars? Jude says, hate even the garments stained by the flesh, even in your witnessing. Be cautious. There may be some people that, man, you're going to have to rely on somebody else to witness to them. Very important. Be cautious. Be cautious even when you're counseling your brothers and sisters in Christ. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Listen, don't beat up people for their failures. You better consider your own vulnerability. Paul went on to say also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So these are very important principles for helping others stay spiritually healthy. Compassion on doubters, Snatch from the fire and exercise compassion with caution. Great little thing to know. Very important. So a lot of details tonight, but I just want to put that little baby up right there. This is how you and I should roll. This is how we roll. We're Christians and we keep ourselves in the love of God. Christ is the center of our life. We love him more than anybody else. We are dedicating ourselves to to building ourselves up in the faith, prayer, and the word, and 
putting those principles into practice as we try to help others in our witnessing and fellowship. But if you can just remember this, just focus on that. Yes, you need to recognize false teachers and false teaching and everything like that, and, and there's, there's a place for that. But if you will just do this, boy, you'll be healthy. You'll recognize false teaching. You'll recognize who are the doubters. The Holy Spirit will be at work in you. Stick to those things. Christian, um, tonight, let me just ask you the question. Is Christ the hub of your life? Is everything in your life revolving around Jesus? It needs to. He needs to be the center. Christian, have you sort of lost your desire to pray and read the Bible? Ask for it back. Oh, spend that time, that quality time in his word. That is, that is health. Make every effort to build that life. Maybe you're here this evening and, and Jesus is not the hub of your wheel. He's not in your heart. You've never invited him. And ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Let him change your life. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Maybe you're here tonight and I just, I just want to um, and you need to come back to the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. You need to repent. You need to return to him. You've let some of these spiritual disciplines go. Your life isn't revolving around him. Come back to him tonight. Say, Lord, I want to be an effective witness for you. that's you come back to him father I pray that we would never lose that appetite for your word. I pray that we would never Lord help us to make that time to pray, to spend time with you, meet with you. If you're here tonight and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, the gospel, God loves you, God made you. The Bible says we have fallen into sin. Human race is a sinful race, and we're separated from God because of that. And yet God made it possible for you to be completely cleansed of all your sin. 
He sent his son to die on the cross for you and rise again. And he can be your Lord and Savior. It's an amazing miracle. The whole Bible points to it. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, who died in your place, who took the penalty for your sin in your place, you'll be forgiven. You'll be born again. So I'd invite you right now, if you haven't received him, to do so right now. It's in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, I receive you by faith. Thank you for being my Savior. Wash away my sins. Make make me that son or daughter in your family. I want relationship with you. I want to keep myself unto you now and forever. Be my Lord, be my Savior, change me. In Jesus' name.